0: On this episode, we'll be shaking down 1992's The Muppets' Christmas Carol. While the film didn't necessarily have the initial commercial success that producers were hoping for, it's certainly become a holiday classic, viewed by many as required viewing during the holiday season, which is exactly why I wanted to do this special episode right before Christmas Day. We'll be discussing everything from the movie's songs to incredible performances and its copious amounts of turns. So sit back, relax. Maybe watch the movie before listening to the rest of this podcast, but enjoy our shakedown of The Muppet's Christmas Carol. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? This is it! Five, six, seven, eight.
1: You've got talent. Let's see what we can do with it.
0: You're gonna make me believe that you belong on that stage. Dancing on that show is my dream. In 1990, the world lost one of its most iconic creative minds with the passing of Jim Henson. It had been six years since the last Muppets feature film, The Muppets Take Manhattan, and with Henson's death, there was a great public desire to see more of these characters. Agent Bill Haber approached Henson's son Brian about potentially bringing a Muppets version of Charles Dickens' classic A Christmas Carol to the screen. However, it wasn't the big screen they were thinking about. The initial idea was that this would be a TV film. However, after pitching it to the Walt Disney Company, it was decided that this would be much better as a feature film. As development began, longtime Muppets writer Jerry Jewell was brought on to pen the adaptation. Paul Williams, who composed the company's most iconic hits such as Rainbow Connection, was brought on to compose original songs for this film. And Brian Henson, he would take the reins for the first time as director. As the casting process began, one of the many challenges was which Muppets would be playing which characters in the classic tale. According to various reports, the plans included for the Ghost of Christmas Past to be played by either Robin the Frog or Scooter, with Miss Piggy as the Ghost of Christmas Present, and either Gonzo or Animal as the Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come. Wisely, however, the creative team chose to create original characters for these ghosts, whose designs remind us of the wondrous capabilities of those of the Jim Henson Company. Robin the Frog was now Tiny Tim, Miss Piggy was Mrs. Cratchit, and Animal was playing the drums in the band during the Wig party. For Gonzo, the creative team chose to make the unique decision to have him play Charles Dickens himself as a narrator in the film. To this day, The Muppets Christmas Carol is the only Christmas Carol film in which Dickens appears as a character. Sadly, with the passing of performer Richard Hunt, Scooter did not appear in the film, Hunt died in January of 1992 from complications of the AIDS virus. He was the voice of not only Scooter, but also Beaker, Janice, Sweetums, and Statler. Other Muppet performers would provide voices of Beaker and Statler for this film. Interestingly enough, Jim Henson and Richard Hunt did the voices of Statler and Waldorf. I can't help but think what it must have felt like for Henson employees to see those two characters as ghosts for this film. When it came to the casting of Ebenezer Scrooge, actors David Hemmings, Ron Moody, and David Warner were all heavily considered. Even comedian George Carlin was looked at for the role. I kind of would have liked to have seen what that must have been like, but I'm sure it would have been a much different movie. The role would eventually go to Oscar winner Michael Caine. Caine reportedly told Brian Henson, I will never wink. I will never do anything Muppety. I am going to play Scrooge, as if it is an utterly dramatic role and there are no puppets around me. This is actually probably why Kane's performance is not only one of the most memorable things about the film, but also why it stands out among all performances in Muppet movies. Now then, sir, about the uh, donation?
1: Well, now, let's see. I know how to treat the poor. My taxes go to pay for the prisons and the poor houses. The homeless must go there.
0: But some would rather die.
1: If they'd rather die, then they'd better do it. And decrease the surplus population.
0: Oh, oh, dear, oh, dear. oh dear, oh dear. Oh, dear, this is the oh door.
1: You may use it.
0: Uh, uh, all right, Beaker, come along. I think we've taken enough of Mr. Scrooge's time. Oh, dear, dear, dear. <laughs> oh, goodness, goodness, goodness. Goodness. I'm Production took place at the legendary Shepardin Studios in England on a $12 million budget. Over 700 films had been produced there, including Lawrence of Arabia, Star Wars, and even the 1970 version of A Christmas Carol starring Albert Finney. The Muppets Christmas Carol was finally released on December 11, 1992. It was the first movie that would be co-produced by the Walt Disney Studios and Jim Henson. The reviews were fairly positive. However, the movie didn't open well at the box office, grossing only $5 million. Negatively impacting ticket sales was the fact that other children's movies such as Home Alone 2 and Disney's own Aladdin were still performing strong, even though they had been released a month before. The Muppets Christmas Carol would go on to gross $27 million before being pulled from theaters after just four weeks. However, the movie has certainly lived on. It's had incredible success in the VHS and DVD formats and is a constant staple on streaming networks. Lately, many are calling for it to be adapted for the stage and to have season runs on Broadway. I've heard from more than one investor that this idea is actually being taken seriously. While the film might not have been embraced the way that many were hoping for, there is no doubt that the love and appreciation for this movie has only grown over the past 26 years since its release. We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, I'm going to be joined by my co-host and wife, Nicole. Now, we recorded this just after re-watching the film, so be warned, the emotions are a little raw. But we'll go through the numbers that we loved, what might be dated, and also two new categories on this podcast, chill scenes, and numbers that we're fast-forwarding to. But first, the trailer. He was the greediest man alive.
1: It's Ebenezer Scrooge.
0: Until the night he met someone extraordinary. Hello. The Muppet Christmas Carol. I'll drink to Mr. Scrooge, mm-hmm. even though he is odious, mm-hmm. stingy, mm-hmm. and badly dressed. <gasps> Humpback. Oh,
1: there
0: goes Mr. Humbug.
1: There goes Mr. Grim.
0: Do you think it's safe for us to be up here? <laughs>
1: Gave a prize for being mean, the winner would be him. Yes, Mr. Cratchit.
0: If you please, Mr. Scrooge. The bookkeeping staff would like to have an extra shovel full of coal for the fire.
1: We're such a frozen?
0: How would the bookkeepers like
1: to be suddenly... Unemployed! This is my island in the It's Charles Dickens' classic tale. As only the Muppets can tell it. It's good to be eckling
0: again. It's good to be doing anything again.
1: Filled with holiday warmth.
0: Hey, 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 light the lamp,
1: not the rat, light the lamp, not the rat! And Christmas spirit. <sighs> Jacob Molly. Oh, that's scary stuff. Should we be worried about the kids in the audience? No, it's alright. This is culture.
0: This is the movie to see. To share to cherish with someone you love.
1: Thank you for making me a part of this.
0: Walt Disney Pictures presents from Jim Henson Productions The Muppet Christmas
1: Carol. God bless us. Everyone. Whatever.
0: And we're back. And I'm sitting now uh, across from my beautiful, beautiful co-host, my (laughs) wife, Nicole Peterson. I have to preface that every single time I do this podcast. Is
1: it because I'm in my pajamas? <laughs> it's true. It makes you
0: extra cute. I won't lie. Um, we, we just actually finished watching A Muppet's Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. Literally, like, seconds ago. Yes. Uh, wanted to make sure it was fresh for this podcast.
1: Also, we wanted to make sure our son was asleep. So. Yes.
0: So if our, our voices are a little... Quieter than normal. <laughs> it's because our son is sleeping in the next room, and we don't want to wake him up. Yes. But um, yeah. So we literally just finished this movie. So let's get right into it, Nicole. Where were you the first time you saw this movie?
1: In the family room, to the basement of my parents' house, mm-hmm. with my younger brother in 1993.
0: Whoa, that's that's going really. So you didn't see it actually in the movie theater.
1: Oh no, we were too young because I was. I was seven when it came out, and then my brother was five. Wow. So it would have been too scary.
0: That, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, I was 11 when it came out, because I was born in 81. It came out in 92. Mm-hmm. So uh, we actually went to see it as a family outing, mm-hmm. the entire family, me and my parents, my brother, who is the same age as you. Yeah. So definitely little... Probably a little too young to maybe. Well, see this not as I
1: mean, like I enjoyed it, mm-hmm. and but it, we watched it in like the summertime in mid afternoon, and it. Oh, was so still, you didn't even
0: see it during the Christmas season?
1: No, and it was still terrifying. Oh wow! So.
0: <laughs> wow. So yeah, so it was. Uh, we went to go see it in the theater, and I, to this day, like I do remember myself being like, very scared at certain moments mm-hmm. in this film. Like there were certain creepy moments in this film where. I was just like, "Ooh, okay." Even as an eleven-year-old, I was a little, you know, creeped out about mm-hmm. that. But um, how did you feel about it then, when you first first saw it?
1: Oh, we loved it. We rented it from—I uh, don't know if it was Blockbuster yet, but it was. Uh, we rented it, and so we had the VHS for what four or five days. So we mm-hmm. watched it a couple times a day that whole week, and then continued to rent and rewatch. So we're Muppet people, though. So, <laughs> the Eager
0: family is a Muppet, a Muppet <laughs> folk, if you will. Yes. There you go. So, watching it tonight, and obviously, in the many times you've watched it since, mm-hmm. have your feelings about this movie changed? I mean, now the fact that you're a mom has has your perspective on this movie changed?
1: Uh, yes. So, the songs that used to make like make me feel my feelings when I was a kid and a young teen. Uh, where the love is gone song. And I remember being like, oh, poor Ebenezer, their true love, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but now it's totally, bless us all,
0: gets me every time. Mm-hmm. So. Wow. You know, for me, it's like, I remember enjoying it, probably, mm-hmm. as, a, as a kid watching this in the theater. Looking back on it and watching it since, still enjoyable. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite incarnations of a Christmas Carol. I've seen a lot of versions. It's,
1: let's be real; it's the only one that counts.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, there there's a lot of them. I've seen a lot of them, and from you know, I know you're partial to Goofy. But... I, I love me some Mickey's Christmas Carol. <laughs> I'm just gonna throw that out there. That was the first. That was my first introduction to a Christmas Carol story. Uh, but then there was I saw another animated one that's a much more serious. Kind of darker <laughs> interpretation. Um, then there's the Jim Carrey one that came out a couple years ago, which was really like not for kids at all mm-hmm. whatsoever. I mean, that was really really creepy. And you know, obviously the live action ones from you know the 1939 to the 1945 mm-hmm. to the 19 you know there's there's been a lot of a lot of incarnations of it, but this really does rank as one of my favorite ones, and that has not changed. And now being a 37 year old man. Watching this movie and having it be, you know, 26 years old now,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, which is crazy to think about. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, it, I think the movie's, all in all, it's it's aged well uh, when you compare it to a lot of the other Christmas Carol movies uh, out there. But um, just some general things, some general notes to talk about this film that definitely have to be mentioned. This is the first Muppet movie uh, that was made since the passing of Jim Henson. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was actually Jim Henson passed in 1990, and this came out in 1992, so two years after his death. It was actually the first Muppet full full length featured Muppet film in eight years, because there had actually been an eight year gap between this and The Muppets mm-hmm. Take Manhattan. But this was the first one without Jim Henson, and Jim Henson's death was a, I mean, monumental loss for the mm-hmm. world. I mean, really, it was one of those like pop cultural events of just, I mean. Generations of people mourned that loss because, first of mm-hmm. all, it was so sudden. I mean, he had pneumonia and it was gone. It was gone, um, but you could definitely see that. Really? Yeah, so it was a really quick passing. It wasn't like a long, drawn out sickness. It was like he got That's sick. So interesting.
1: Well, I remember, like, I remember my parents sitting down and talking to me about it mm-hmm. because. My favorite people, my you know Muppets, were going to start sounding different and maybe looking a little different and right. all of that. And they were like, "You know what she she can handle a little bit of information." so yeah. I remembered them telling me about it, and i I think he's he's actually one of the first deaths that I ever remember. Like acknowledging
0: yeah. as a kid, it was. It, it, I agree a hundred percent. It was one of those. It was really the first celebrity death that truly like impacted me. Mm-hmm. I felt bad. Like I felt terrible. Yeah. Um, and I think it was a couple years after that we lost John Candy, and I kind of felt the same way. I was like, oh my god, like someone I actually genuinely liked, and mm-hmm. things like that. And you know, what's an interesting holiday movie tie-in is with Jim Henson as funeral. If anybody's ever seen the YouTube clip, it was a scene where um, a bunch of his co-workers and colleagues that were, you know, mu- Muppet, uh, I don't want to call them puppeteers, but, you know, mu- Muppeteers, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, but if a fellow performance of his um, got up and did a song, mm-hmm. and they whipped out their their, car- their Muppets, and they started singing as the Muppets, and it was actually that scene that inspired the opening scene of Love Actually, when during the wedding song, uh, wedding oh. scene, they have the chorus from above mm-hmm. on the balcony come out and sing um, "All You Need Is Love."
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Richard Curtis, who directed that film, was at Jim Henson's funeral oh. and saw that. And that that actually that scene actually kind of pays homage and tribute to Jim Henson. So there's kind of two Christmas movies <laughs> linked mm-hmm. at, in, the, in when it comes to Jim Henson. But yeah, no, this was this was the first movie without him. Brian, his son Brian Henson, was directing it, mm-hmm. and. Um, so you could definitely feel like a palpable sense of loss in this movie. It definitely felt a little weird watching it without, you know, Jim Henson and taking over for obviously the voice of Kermit the frog and, and many of the voices uh, were other performers. They didn't actually hire a lot of new people to come mm-hmm. in and do these voices. There was actually a lot of the same people, but Steve Whitmire who mm-hmm. came in and did Kermit the frog and he, this was his first project of doing Kermit the frog and What's interesting is, I mean, he had done, you know, Bean Bunny. He had Mm -hmm. done um, Rizzo the Rat. So he did voices that you couldn't even hear Kermit in that. So let me ask you this, Nicole. Yes. Growing up with Jim Henson doing Kermit the Frog, Mm -hmm. and now you're hearing a completely different person doing it. As a kid, do you, I mean, do you remember, were you, did you find that jarring? Did you notice a difference?
1: Um, Honestly, I, I didn't. I knew his son had started doing some Kermit voices and had started, you know, taking over a little bit. So as a kid, that's who I thought was doing it all. I thought Brian Henson did everything. Now, mm-hmm. um, obviously, I was wrong, Right. but um, it wasn't jarring. It wasn't like the change in Big Bird, which I still have a lot to say about.
0: Yeah, Um. <laughs> that's a good example. That's a good example of when someone else takes over a role that, like, yeah there are major differences there, and you know, I think with a with the Muppets, it's not just obviously the voice, it's the mannerisms, mm-hmm. it's the personality, it's the way that they say certain words the-
1: well, and I think what's helpful too though, is because this is a period movie, Kermit does not move the same as he does as he's giving the weather report on Sesame Street, right, or you know if he's sitting playing the banjo, Kermit is allowed to be puppeted in a different way Mm.
0: i think steve whitmire did a great job of of kermit the frog and he's done a great job for the past 20 years of doing the voice since then he just recently left um the jim henson company so he's no longer doing kermit the frog so they have someone completely new i don't know who exactly it is right now but it's not steve whitmire so um yeah no i think for for stepping into the shoes of, of jim henson i think that's a major undertaking it's mm-hmm. funny interesting story behind the scenes was Steve Wittenire said right before they started shooting this film he was really nervous about taking on Kermit the Frog's voice and one night before they started filming he had a dream where he met Jim Henson in the lobby of ho- of a hotel mm-hmm. and Jim Henson like reassured him that he was the perfect person for this role like don't worry you're gonna be fine and that gave him all the confidence in the world to walk in and, and truly embody Kermit. And I thought he did a great job mm-hmm. um, as well. Other thoughts that I had about this film, I'm going I'm to put this out there and, and people can come at me if they disagree, but I'm going to say that I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask instead uh-huh. of maybe definitively saying, is this the best film incarnation of Ebenezer Scrooge we've ever seen in yes. Michael Caine's portrayal? You're, you're quick to answer that. You're quick to answer. Yes. <laughs> Like no hesitation yeah. whatsoever. No. So of all the Scrooges you've ever seen, mm-hmm. Michael Caine's up there. Oh, yeah. I, you know I have to agree with you. I mean, he really is up there um, with a lot of the other greats that I've seen uh, throughout the years. I mean, there have been some really, really great actors playing mm-hmm. this role, but um, I, I, th- I think you're right. I think he's definitely in the top one. What, it about, what is it about his performance for you that puts him really at the top of, of, the, of your lists? uh
1: because i didn't feel like he was dumbing it down to me when i was a kid mm-hmm. i felt like i was watching a grown up movie even though obviously it is a children's movie and it has characters that kids can relate to i it made me feel like i was getting to watch something that maybe oh, oh maybe my parents don't know Right. how scary this is or how serious it is because it was a Muppet movie. We, My brother and I were allowed to watch it by ourselves. And, like, it kind of... It, it was kind of a fun experience to see that. So I feel like this is a professional performance. And right. it also... It, it's the
0: first time I ever had known Michael Caine. So... Yeah, I mean, well, as a seven-year-old or eight-year-old. Mm-hmm. Me as an 11-year-old, yeah, I definitely had no... It wasn't like I was watching Alfie or Hannah no. and, and her sisters before no. this. Um, yeah, no, this was really kind of the first experience I had with Michael Caine. And um, I would agree with you. It, it is, for me, it's it's right up there uh, with Alistair Sims, who did Ebernege Scrooge in the 1951 movie. Um, and really what I liked about Alistair Sims was not necessarily his pre- Happy Scrooge, it was his his gleeful Scrooge afterwards that I th- mm-hmm. I found really, really good. Uh, he went from being mm-hmm. this, you know, very stern guy, but I mean, if you watch... So better than Matthew
1: McConaughey and
0: Ghosts of Girlfriends Past. Yes, <laughs> and better than Bill Murray in Scrooge. And, you know, all these other films, oh my God, Ghosts of Girlfriends Past, oh my God, you brought that into this discussion. Well, you didn't. You didn't mention it in the beginning, right. so I, I thought I should at right. least put it oh, out there. <laughs> God, all right, well, yeah, there you go. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think I think Alistair Sims, pre, you know, post, post, you know, Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come, phenomenal. But I think Michael Caine, you're right, gives a complete performance. One thing I found out in my research in this film is that right as filming started. Michael Kane went up to Brian Henson and said, "Look, I'm going to play this role as a ser- as a serious dramatic role. I'm not going to like interact with these muppets as if they're muppets. I'm going to react to them and interact with them as if they were, you know, fellow performers, humans mm-hmm. almost." So, I think that's what makes this performance so great is that the fact that he's not how do I put this, Muppifying, I guess mm-hmm. you could say. I mean, if you watch a movie like The Muppets with Jason Siegel and Amy yeah. Adams and you watch the way that they're reacting to The Muppets and you watch a lot of The Muppet shows, you see where they're kind of looking down and playing around and be like, mm-hmm. oh my God, I'm acting next to Miss Piggy and Kermit the Frog. Right. You see kind of that awareness of what's going on. But with Kane, it's it's like, it's awesome. It's an awesome, awesome performance and he's doing so many great things and he's just reacting so nicely and interacting so nicely with these characters as mm-hmm. well. Um, what other thoughts did you have, That general thoughts that popped up?
1: Um, I love the miniatures of the city. I think yeah. you're beautiful. And I know we're going to we'll get into design We'll get into design later,
0: yeah, but that's a good point. But yeah.
1: I just think it's such a way to set the scene for the opening and, well, and the ending. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Let me see. Um, I love... And again, stop me if we're gonna get into stuff later, but I love the Greek chorus
0: aspect of Gonzo and Rizzo. That's a good point, and and Will, I'm gonna ask you a question about that because that's part of my lingering questions is their role and their interactions. But I'm glad that you brought them up. Yeah. Well, to that, it,
1: I enjoy the beginning that they explain to the audience, which are children. Mm-hmm who Charles Dickens was, Mm -hmm. what his job was, what, you know, what this is that they're watching. Because, again, now looking at it as a parent and the person who gets asked all of the questions every time we watch something, Mm -hmm. they did a lot of the explaining. And even, I wrote... Oh, at the end, fast forward, when they announced at the end that tiny tim is alive and yeah. they say it very <laughs> they distinctly, make very clear for the kids very clear yes as someone who gets asked all the time mommy what happened to this are they okay did they get hurt did they get hurt are you sure they didn't get i mean it's right. you know that constant nervous questioning right. the fact that they were so clear about it as a parent now seeing that i was like that's probably why this movie was able to be enjoyed right for kids
0: this it's 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 important to note that this is actually the first movie that the jim henson company co-produced with walt disney Mm -hmm. studios so to me that moment at the end when rizzo and and gonzo were saying and tiny tim pause who's actually alive right uh seems like a disney note almost like disney wanted that because you can't you can't have that ambiguity perhaps in a you know
1: No, but it's also a sense of security. And throughout the whole movie, those two characters are talking to the kids. Mm. They're not talking to the other characters. They're talking to the audience directly and they're giving reassurances. And they're also saying things that maybe the kids are feeling. Oh, this is really scary. Or, oh, this is spooky. We're going to go close our eyes now. Mm -hmm. Things like that, you know. So, or
0: they're preparing
1: the audience for things that are coming.
0: Yeah. And on that note, I have to be honest with you, the the Marley scenes, any Marley scene, um, Jacob Marley, I'll, I almost said Bob Marley a couple times, <laughs> I, won't, I won't lie, I've said, it, I've said that in the past, but I, I don't care which version of A Christmas Carol I'm watching, the Marley scene will never not be creepy to me. I'm never not going to be creeped out by the entire sequence.
1: So... In watching it this time, I realized what scares me is not Statler and Mm Waldorf, but is Michael Caine's reaction to them. Yeah. Seeing him up against the wall, the shadows of his body up against the wall, like Mm -hmm. seeing a grown man cower in fear. That really got to me this time. Right. And I'm assuming that that's what scared me. Again, you don't see adults being scared. Right. As kids. Mm-hmm. You don't that's see adults point. being scared of Muppets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so point. I, you know, Statler and Waldorf are not scary. They're goofy. They're silly. But to see another adult react that way, children take their cues from adults. Mm-hmm. So to see that, it, that, that struck me this time.
0: And props to Kane too, because it, when they were making that, I mean, that was all done by green screen mm-hmm. in post. So he's reacting pretty much probably to nothing. And, and, mm-hmm. To be able to give that type of performance, uh, you know, without nothing in front of him, again, really speaks to the quality of, of acting uh, mm-hmm. on his part. Um Other, general note that I had about this film too that I really liked was the fact that the casting of the Muppet characters in this was flawless. Mm-hmm. I thought, I mean, from Sam the Eagle as the headmaster, <laughs> which was great. This is the American way. Psst, <laughs> this England, is this, way. this is the British way. <laughs> um to Fozzie as Fozziewig. I love um, that. And can I
1: also say that I love that Mrs. Fozziewig was his mom mm-hmm. and not his wife. Right. Because we all know that Fozzie and Kermit are the true, the the one true pairing. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> At least in my mind. At least you're in your mind.
0: And I think actually, to, to the speaking of the casting of the Muppet characters, it really does, again... Um, the signs of, of the absence of both, not only Jim Henson, but Richard Hunt, who played uh, most notably Skeeter, did the voice of Skeeter. Mm-hmm. So Skeeter doesn't appear in this movie at all. Um, I, I, I mean, don't...
1: even Rolf, I mean, he's in it in the background. Rolf he is has in the no background, but lines. he has no speaking
0: lines because Jim Henson did the voice uh, for Rolf. Rolf. So they, they, at that point, they hadn't really figured out how to, you know, create a voice for Rolf yet. So you just see him playing the piano in the background. So you don't get a lot of the main characters. But again, from what you did have in terms of the casting, uh, of which which Muppet characters would play who I mean for the Swedish Chef being the chef of the, the party <laughs> to the fish guy who I love by the way <laughs> ever since Muppets Takes Manhattan I love that fish guy he throws you throw fish
1: him and it comes right back and to you
0: ah, the boomerang fish it's one of my favorite Muppet <laughs> characters ever um and he's just playing a street market but I also like the fact I don't know if you picked up on this I'm sure you probably did but like. I, I really like the fact that they didn't have any of the popular characters playing the ghosts. I liked how the ghosts were all original characters. That's what made them spooky. Right. What was your reaction to the Ghost of Christmas Past?
1: Utter terror.
0: Right. <laughs> so you were terrified by that, that character.
1: I have goosebumps right now as we're talking about it. Really? So Christopher knows this. But I have always had a fear of creepy young girls. hmm yep. <laughs> Which is a terrible position for me to be in because all I do is teach young girls.
0: <laughs> that's true. Teach, that's what you do for work.
1: <laughs> um, but, you know, like Linda Blair, case in point, mm-hmm. uh, all of that stuff, like that always scared me as a kid and still scares me like now. the shining,
0: like, you
1: know. Yes. There you go, okay. Yeah, so even before... At, Any of those things struck me. That stupid ghost scared the crap out of me. And I had nightmares about it. And I had beautiful white gauzy curtains in my bedroom that I had to shove up against the wall before I could
0: go to sleep. (laughs) You know, what what I liked about the design of the ghost of Christmas past, and the ghost of Christmas yet to come, was it was a good reminder of the artistry. That the Jim Henson Company I mean, can now do. like
1: you, yes, they're, they're... like in
0: Dark Crystal and Labyrinth, and some of those things that you see there aren't the Muppets.
1: Well, honestly, like, and I mentioned this to you when we were watching it, but I think this is the last creepy kids' movie.
0: Mm. That's
1: a good point because I mean, when you think of Labyrinth and the Dark Crystal, I mean, there's very little light when you think of like what's that one, um, with Tom Cruise and the Unicorn
0: Legend, Legend, there you go.
1: Like, I mean, this is the early 90s, but yeah. towards the late 80s, early 90s, kids' movies started to get more kiddish, uh-huh. and,
0: you know, so... Well, actually, it's a, you. you the, I'm glad you brought that up, because the, when this actually came out, the very weekend it came out, it was um, up against uh, Home Alone 2, had come out a couple mm-hmm. weeks before it, which actually a lot of people say really impeded the box office success for... A Christmas Carol mm-hmm. and also Aladdin was still in theaters at the mm-hmm. time, too. And you so you really did see that transition of the less serious, tragic, you know, sad moment mm-hmm. uh, kids' movies to being something more gleeful. So I think you just nailed it on the head right there, absolutely. Um, yeah, no, I think uh, you're absolutely right. So, any other general thoughts about this film that you had? Right um, I so love, you took copious notes, I did. I love singing vegetables anytime you see, it, but see, how can you eat? That's a good question. So in this world, in this world, this Jim Henson Muppet world, I
1: also, I wrote an entire list of species rankings because I
0: was very concerned about... Okay. So this is where I have issues with this movie. And this is where I have the issues with a lot of Jim Henson movies. If you're going to create a universe where you have singing food, food is meant to be eaten and digested. So what happens to this food that is alive? Not not chickens as full chickens. Like I'm talking like... Grapes and you know vegetables that sing did You're... you hear Rizzo at the end? What was that what do you say?
1: He said, my mother always told me not to eat talking fruit so so there is fruit that doesn't talk, and then there's fruit that does talk
0: I, well, I want to say okay, you pro- it's probably seen in the movie, but that's a, again again, a very weird thing because they're selling those street scenes where you do see the selling the, the singing food that food is meant to be sold. they're actually you know up for sale to be eaten. So that's a dark thing to think about that you've got. Well, you're
1: taking it in the wrong
0: direction. Well, I'm asking you, does talking food taste more delicious than non-talking food?
1: (laughs) Talking food. In the Jim Henson world. I don't. All
0: right. So. In the Jim Henson extended universe. Do we have
1: time for me to DV to tell you about
0: my singing vegetable experience? Absolutely not. We'll save that for a day. Okay. (laughs) Because I know, I have a feeling I know where that story's going to go. and Our viewers don't need to get to know you that much right off the bat. Anyway, any other general any general um, thoughts before we move on to the next uh, subject?
1: I wanted to see more
0: penguins. Yeah, you only get one scene with penguins, in the movie. Yes. I mean, it's the snow's constant in this movie, so um, but they're having a good time. Me. They're they have a, they have an ice rink that they create, so it's cool.
1: Oh my goodness! So I had never noticed this before, but when you are watching the scene with the ghost of christmas past and you're seeing all of the young scrooges get older and older mm-hmm. every time you see scrooge like adult scrooge's face it is filled with more and more despair mm-hmm. and it is heartbreaking yeah and now again parent mode looking at that and just speedily watching that boy get older and older yeah. oh my heart okay um uh,
0: just for context we have a 4-year-old son who mm-hmm. is you know going to be 13 tomorrow <laughs> so that's so a lot of these a lot of these feelings are hitting nicole yes <laughs> as we um
1: are we looking at lingering questions or just general thoughts They're just general thoughts okay the movie. uh let's see bless us all gets me every time um oh part of the scariness of the ghost of the uh Christmas yet to come is its inability, or I don't know if it's inability or unwillingness to communicate. Mm. So all Scrooge has to go on is his own fears and his own feelings. Right. So all of that communication is kind of left up to the imagination of the audience. Mm-hmm. And as a kid, that ghost totally did not scare me. And I'm wondering if it's because of boredom. Like, I right. wasn't hearing a conversation. I couldn't imagine it. But again, now from an adult perspective, mm-hmm. imagining what that conversation could sound like, mm-hmm. that's so much scarier. Well,
0: that's, I think that's the difference between this movie and, you know, let's just say Mickey's Christmas Carol because mm-hmm. that's another children's version of the story where, you know, Pete from the Goofy mm-hmm. realm, so to speak, um... He plays the ghost of Christmas yet present, and there's a lot of dialogue between.
1: Well, and that's again, this movie. I don't. It doesn't talk down to its Mm -hmm. audience, and now watching, and I think it's why we as adults can still watch it and enjoy it. Because I'm, I was sitting there going, "Oh my god, that's terrifying." Yeah. Because there's no response. That lack of feeling Mm -hmm. is just as scary as getting all the information right and
0: also like what i mentioned before how i like the casting and and creating original characters for those ghosts again Mm -hmm. if we're using mickey's christmas carol as a reference where jiminy cricket is playing the ghost of christmas past and Mm -hmm. goofy is playing the ghost of christmas present so there's that familiarity with those characters so you Mm -hmm. have to make the ghost of christmas present do some goofy things i guess right and stuff like that again with here with The muppets it's completely original. So you have no connection to those characters. And to your point earlier, that's why they're so terrifying. That's why they're so impactful, I think, because you don't know them from anything else other than this movie, Mm -hmm. so to speak. So let's move on. Folks, like I said, this is going to be, we're seven episodes in. This is now the longest series of podcasts I've ever done on a particular subject. Usually my podcasts are one or two episodes and I, think that they're terrible and I stop them. But this one's actually going (laughs) really well. So we're going to change things every now and then. These things are going to evolve. We're going to introduce some new sections, takeaway sections that might not be working and things like that. But one new thing I want to insert into this podcast when we talk about these movies, because when we watch a movie musical, we all have, or any movie for that matter, we have what are called chill moments, where there are moments in these films that just give you these chills so to speak, Um, either chills of, you know, like, oh, my God, that's amazing, or, oh my God, it's really impacting me, you know, negatively, or, Mm -hmm. you know, oh, my gosh, I'm crying my eyes out, like, you know, we all have those moments. So I want to introduce this new section and ask what, Nicole, what are your chill moments in The Wuppet's Christmas Carol? Um, And I'll give you mine afterwards.
1: Yes. First chill moment was that literally gave me the chills out of fear was... Seeing the ghost of Christmas past. There you go. Mm -hmm. And her creepy googly eyes. Um, But the one that touched my heart the most was definitely Bless Us All Mm -hmm. and seeing that family together because I think that's the moment that touches Scrooge Mm -hmm. too. Um, And again, I get weepy for small frogs that remind me of my son.
0: You get really weepy. All right, I phrase. cried. Yeah, you full like... out cried. That was there was no choking up or weepiness. There were just tears, <laughs> left and right. I held it together, but you not so much. <laughs> um, any other chill moments? Um. Not.
1: I'm... Sorry, I know. I'm thinking. I know harmed. you. You
0: think you. You have these long pauses of thought. I'm so sorry. This is not a vlog. No, you're not on video.
1: I know. Um, <laughs> no, I think that's really it. I mean, and the happiness at the end, I think, is well placed. So there
0: you I, go. that it, it didn't give me chills, but it made me for happy. me, I mean, the the first chill that I had in this movie was the signature Kermit looking at a shooting star moment. Mm. I mean, almost in every single. I'd have to go back and look at this for sure, but pretty much in all, almost every single Muppet movie, Kermit is standing looking at a shooting star. I mean, it definitely <laughs> happens in the first Muppet movie. It definitely happens, I think it happens in Muppet Takes Manhattan. I don't think it happens in The Great Muppet Caper because when does when is there a moment that's appropriate for that? But yeah, there, and it's happened a lot of times during the Muppet
1: Can I tell show. you something? What? And I don't want it to upset you, but every time that scene happens, and is it, Bean Bunny, who, who yells Merry Christmas? I think versus, so. I thought it was him being shot through the sky.
0: Oh, Bean Bunny? You thought it was yes. Bean Bunny didn't oh, I didn't think it was a shooting star. Oh my God, star. that's dark. That's
1: dark. Um, no, but, it yeah. wasn't until tonight when you're like, oh,
0: it's a shooting star. And I was like, oh, the poor rabbit
1: wasn't kicked. Okay.
0: No, there's just something about seeing Kermit looking at a shooting star that gives me chills. Um, the next one, I th- the next chill moment I have is always the "It Feels Like Christmas" number. It's mm-hmm. one of my favorite songs in the entire um, movie. So yeah, that always gives me kind of a good chill. And then of course the ending. I mean, you said it too. I mean, I think the whole mm-hmm. from from him waking up to you know bursting out a window saying "You there? What day is it?" You know things like that. That always gets me. Like that you know, entire sequence what
1: did give me chills about the ending. What's up with that split moment when he's pulling on the cloak of? the ghost of Christmas get to come and Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden he's dropped back in his own bed Mm -hmm. that like that really surprised me how quick that cut was but it was seamless and like it was really emotional
0: it kind of feels like I I wasted an opportunity in my youth when we lived in an apartment or when I lived in an apartment that was like low to the ground that on Christmas morning I never burst out the window and yelled at the first person that I saw and said (laughs) you there sir are you there, man? What day is it? Oh, my God. I didn't miss it. But
1: there's our neighbor who walks their dogs every morning at 6. You could scare her to death. Yeah,
0: open up the front door. <laughs> I, and I'm surprised not more people do this, by the way. I really am. Like I, I, this is a perfect viral YouTube video. I mean, video. it'll
1: still be dark if you do that. she will really,
0: really scare but, her. I mean, if there's, someone's listening to this, please do that. That'd be awesome just to catch someone off their guard and just to do that. Um, all right. Well, let's move on to the next section. Which we typically do later, but I wanted to do it further because I think it'll bring up some good talking points. But lingering questions—now, these lingering mm-hmm. questions are basically any time you're watching a film, and there are just questions that you come up that maybe aren't particularly answered mm-hmm. by the end of the film um, that you know you're left wondering. So, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start with my first lingering question, then mm-hmm. Nicole and I will go back and forth. But and you, and you brought it up earlier about Gonzo and Rizzo mm-hmm. as playing Charles Dickens and his friend. If Gonzo and Rizzo could interact with the world around them, how does Scrooge not feel them grappling hook attaching to him <laughs> to go to the coast the of Christmas past? Like, they launch a grappling hook <laughs> and that hooks onto his robe. Yes. Pulls no weight whatsoever, which then suggests that, you know, Gonzo and Rizzo aren't, you know, true beings. But then they're inter. So basically, what I'm trying to get at is they're. If they're playing narrators that are invisible, mm-hmm. uh, then that is inconsistent throughout the film. If they're, if I don't they're, think
1: they're invisible. I think that you just have to suspend your disbelief a little bit a little to bit. think that uh, Scrooge was so scared flying mm-hmm. that he just didn't notice.
0: I get, it's one of those, it's one of those flaws. Because and they
1: always, they keep telling each other to be quiet right. and to, you know, shh, like sneak around mm-hmm. and pay attention. So I think the idea is that they are not, they're not, uh, spirits, that mm-hmm. they are corporeal, you know, rat and creature.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right. What's your, what's your first lingering question?
1: Um, why are their clown shoes hanging from the ceiling of Fozzy Wigs?
0: Yeah, well, do they do they say what Fozzy Wigs like what they sold or what they were like what their business was? Well, I thought he was his
1: I thought he was also in the dealings of like lending, lending and oh, okay. all of that. And because he laughs and says, you know, he's as tough as a rose petal. Right. You know, so I thought that he was in the same business but that he learned what not to do from Fozzie work. Yeah,
0: it was a very weird, when you watch that scene and you're looking at the rafters, they have all these sh- clown shoes just yes, hanging there. And I'm unique. wondering if
1: it was supposed to be
0: meat and oh. they didn't want it to be meat. That's a good point. That's a good, because this is a party, but. Yeah. That's a good point. All right, let me give you a quick question. Mm-hmm. Does, is it, proper or does it make sense that scrooge's school as a youth would just let one boy stay there during winter break alone
1: well i didn't think it was a boarding (laughs) school
0: i thought he was choosing i think it's a boarding school and he just didn't go home during winter break and so he'd be by himself (laughs) so they have to keep like staff there and like they would him? No. Or would they Here, just leave, and he's literally in the school. This by is himself. like the time of Oliver. Make sure he has enough coal and food to get through. I mean, that's that's <laughs> interesting. I was like, so he's going to be there by himself the entire. I mean, like lots every of, winter break, from like youth to like you know senior year of high school, he's just going to stay in winter, you know, in that school by himself for two weeks while everybody goes off for the holidays. I mean, the, this is
1: the time where children had full time jobs in factories that's and were dying. So like
0: that never made sense to me. So, all right. Give me a lingering question.
1: Um, So this is a a question about the species ranking of the creatures in this movie. So are Muppets their own species? And I'm not talking about the animal Muppets. I'm talking about the people Muppets.
0: Yeah, that was weird too.
1: So I'm thinking like in ranking, the humans, pigs, and Muppet people
0: Mm -hmm. tend to be the
1: wealthiest. Right.
0: Right. What, why, why are the pigs, let me ask you this, why are the pigs working full-time jobs and talking like humans and, and are able to be bankers and, Mm -hmm. you know, normal pieces of society? And then you've got other animals that aren't.
1: Well, so here we go. Uh, frogs, penguins, rats, middle to lower class. Right. Uh, rodents, monsters, bugs. All, or evil. All, all evil all or, low, <laughs> or lower class, like the all mouse evil. family, is right. destitute. Mm-hmm. And then, cats, horses, were actual animals. Right. They could talk, but the cats were barnyard cats, and the horses were being ridden by other
0: animal muppets. It's a good question. It's a good qu- of like how that they broke those up. I have and... this question whenever we read like Richard Scary books too, though. So oh, okay, that's a good point. Um, let me ask you this. hmm I thought maybe something that I found a little really unrealistic was that Clara, you know, cousin Freddy's wife. Yes. Or, she nails Scrooge on the fourth guest in that parlor game. So she asked, they asked pa- Freddy like three questions.
1: hmm
0: And she's like, wait, so it's not, it's an unwanted guest.
1: hmm
0: Uh, it's not a leech, rat, or cockroach, so it must be Ebenezer Scrooge? Like, that was the fourth guest? hmm like that's that that I found a little unrealistic. I was like, she must have had it out for for Ebenezer at that point. Like, but
1: I guess like anything
0: negative had to be Ebenezer's group.
1: But I'm also wondering if there was like a previous conversation, and not right. you know that they were also. All just I, I, I've never
0: liked him. that parlor game scene because I always felt that that was very unrealistic. Like, how could you nail that, literally after like 20 seconds?
1: Well, I know, but it also, I guess what i it leads me to think that they were kind of knocking on him already. That's for true. not being there, and if the nephew was saying like telling everyone about that, like I mm-hmm. kind of already got that feeling that Scrooge was walking into seeing people talk negatively about him already right right what else you got uh why do the daughter pigs Bettina and Belinda have square schnauzes and not round ones
0: that i that's a great question. Well, actually, I have a question about the kids too mm-hmm. Why is it in every kid's movie, whenever you have like children of the main characters, mm-hmm. the girls look like the mom and the boys look like the dad? So Peter, the son, is a, is, is, a is, is a frog. And the girls are pigs and they all look like Miss Piggy. Like, How come there couldn't be a female frog or a male young pig?
1: Because then that also leads you to the question of the frog pig hybrid child, <laughs> yeah, which is terrifying. Family, oh no,
0: it's <laughs> a Family Guy joke. Um, but you see, like that's that's a trope that you see a lot in a lot yeah. of, of kids movies, and it never made sense to me. I mean, even like like Leading the Tramp is another great example. Like at the end when you see all the puppies, mm-hmm. like all the boys look like the dad, and all the girls look like the mom. And I think that, well. I never understood it. It, It's not realistic. It's not.
1: Well, I mean, I think maybe, especially in a time when we were talking about very gendered roles, that it made it easier for children to understand who is who. I guess.
0: I don't know. I I just thought, I thought it's one of those things that like sets unrealistic expectations for kids. I mean,
1: our son does look just like you. It's
0: true. So maybe it's true. (laughs) But you kind of look like your dad. So, I know. you know, that's, you look more like your dad than your mom. So, you know, myth debunked. I know. Right there. I got a question for you. Mm-hmm. And this is actually more of a Christmas Carol question rather than Muppets. But okay. at the end, mm-hmm. did Scrooge really need the third ghost to be a changed man? Or let me ask you this. Does the third ghost then like make all the other ghosts mute like couldn't it have just been the one ghost of Christmas yet to come and that would have changed him no so he had to he had to have all three ghosts
1: I think he needed to have the first two ghosts but the mm-hmm. audience needed the third to see that he was a changed man okay because, because like I think like he has he doesn't have that realization until the end until right. he sees that he's affected the ghost of Christmas present mm-hmm. like that's I feel like when it really clicks when the ghost of Christmas present is quoting him right and then the audience needs that, whereas I don't think the character needed that.
0: I don't know. I felt like, to me, when, like, you know, the last thing that he's seeing in The Ghost of... And this is all Christmas carols. Mm-hmm. The last thing that he sees in The Ghost of Christmas Present is the fact that Tiny Tim... Like, they say, like, oh, I, see, mm-hmm. you know, next year I see an empty chair with a crutch, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that should be... If you're a human being, like, that should be enough to, like, change your thought process. But
1: when this was written...
0: And well let me let me let me just say this though yeah. like I feel like you know he, you could you could say that he may have been a changed person but like to say that oh by the way if you don't change you're dead next year like I'm changing I, like I don't need to, I don't even need tiny tim at that point like mm-hmm. you if you're the first ghost you come to me and say hey you you've been a jerk and next year because of that you're going to die if you don't change your ways mm-hmm. which by the way I have no idea how that works, like does that make my metabolism better? Does it make my heart condition better? Like do, do I become immune to diseases if I'm nice to people?
1: No, no, what I think it is is that for to to manage the audience's expectations mm-hmm. I, me as the squishy being that I am, would have no respect or understanding of Scrooge if he was just told, "Well, you're going to die, so clean up your act. Mm-hmm. I need to see him, me, myself, interact with Bob Cratchit and see that. Like, I need to see that. Right. However, I'm sure there are people in the audience that'll be like, oh, well, screw that family. Mm-hmm. You know, if Scrooge looks out for himself, he'll be fine. And then when they hear that, oh, no, mm-hmm. even after all this, if Scrooge doesn't clean up his act, he's going to die. You know, like, right. I think it manages the entire audience's expectations,
0: not just the character. Good point. Good point. Any more lingering questions? Um I love Sam the Eagle.
1: That's not a question. Not really a question. <laughs> we all do. Yes. Uh that's that's really it. Good. Those are my all questions. Right.
0: Those are good questions though. Let's get into the ratings, folks. As you know, with all movie musicals, you have to really have four elements firing at all cylinders at once to really make it a strong movie musical. And that of course is singing, dancing, acting and design. So what we like to do here at the Movie Musical Shakedown is kind of rate from 1 to 10 how we felt the, mu- the, the singing, the dancing, the design, and the acting. All of that was, was good. So 1 being the worst, 10 being the best. So Nicole, let me start with you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Singing. How would you rate this 1 through 10 and why?
1: Uh, I would rate this a 4.
0: Whoa. Okay.
1: Uh, because there was only one person who I thought had a beautiful voice. And her song got cut from the film, which we're
0: going to talk about later. Which we'll get, we'll get into that later. going to talk uh, about it now. However,
1: <laughs> um, with the exception of Michael Caine, mm-hmm. all of the other singing was done by animals.
0: Well, yeah, character voices. The Muppets, yes. Yeah.
1: So, Mike. So we're really just judging Michael Caine's voice,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and Michael. Well, Caine's... I think you can also
0: judge like the the voices of, you know, the Muppet performers.
1: Yeah, I think. But can... th- I mean. The Muppets are great, Mm -hmm. but they're the Muppets. Right. So if we're judging on the technique of singing, Michael Caine's it.
0: Yeah, I can can see your point. However, I I was not as picky as you were, but. I'm the
1: acapella between Robin and, oh, it's not Robin here, Tiny Tim and Bob Cratchit Mm -hmm. is lovely. It makes me happy. I always love listening to Kermit sing,
0: Mm -hmm. but. Well, not not that much because he gave it a four.
1: Well, I wasn't talking about Kermit. I was talking about Scrooge. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I gave it a seven because I took into account the fact that, you know, who doesn't like to hear Kermit the Rock sing? I and, love to. Hear you Kermit know, who doesn't like to I think, but I think you're right when it comes to the human singers. <laughs> I mean, even, even, and we'll talk, like I said, we're going to talk about When Love Is Gone mm-hmm. a little bit later because there's a whole discussion about that. But Meredith Braun, who sings that, yeah, I mean, she's okay. She's not great. She's, I mean, she's a talented singer, but she ain't, Well, if I put her into great. the mix, then I would be a 7, too.
1: Right. But you can't, because right. she's not there anymore.
0: That's true. Um, so, yeah, I, I gave it a 7, though, because I, I took into account the fact that, you know, who doesn't like to hear Miss Piggy and, you know, Kermit the Frog and some of these characters sing. Um, dancing. In this movie. <laughs> I mean, if we can even call it that. But go ahead. What's, um, one through 10. What did, you, what did you think?
1: So, Kermit, 9, Horses ten. Ten. Michael Caine,
0: four. <laughs> so if we're if we're averaging everything all together overall. So what do you think it's five? Five or six. Yeah. See, I, I, I was I gave I was basically as harsh as you were towards the singing, towards the dancing. I gave it a two. I almost gave it in like a non applicable because <laughs> I don't I don't call Sinead turns because that's all this movie is, is Sinead turns. It's just like that's the only move. It's like I don't know who choreographed this, but they're like, you know what, you know what this movie needs a lot of. Turns. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how they danced in the late eighteen hundreds or early eighteen hundreds, but
1: you know, there there was a Chasse cha in there a couple. Times, was there?
0: But I mean, again, folks, I'm not a dancer. Nicole's a dancer. She sees these things. I just see a lot of people but twirling. There, it
1: it's made their skirts go whoosh. I know which is they the wanted whole that point. effect
0: exactly, but there wasn't. And, and granted like in most Muppet films like you don't get a lot of choreography I think mm. the, the the most recent you know Jason Segel the Muppets is probably the most choreography that you've ever gotten in a mm-hmm. Muppets film but still it's like you could probably do a little more, more than just constant twirling I mean the horses the, really the horses, got to show the stuff even the horses though. were doing Sinead turns
1: no really, but they were also doing some little rear end wiggling I mean it right. was, it I was mean, a are boogieing.
0: but like yeah no I just I gave it a 2 because it was just like there was no real choreography. Acting. One to ten. Ten. Yeah? Yeah. I I, I gave it an eight. Um
1: Well the things again. Like for Michael Caine's
0: carrying this movie on his back, but yes. like Yeah, so
1: Well, I think that the puppet Muppet acting was yeah, fantastic. Strong. Yeah. And Michael Caine, I thought this is the performance of his that affected me the most deeply out of any Michael Caine movie that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, well, I mean, Batman, but that's a whole other... It's whole a whole other generation. whole other thing.
0: Um, it's a different podcast.
1: But again, the one real big emotional performance that from the other human actors was taken out.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: So if we're judging just by
0: what we see, Michael yeah. Caine is a 10 for me. I, You know, I gave it an 8 overall. I think Michael Caine carried the average up. I think a lot of the other human actors in that movie from Cousin Freddy to Clara to, you know, well, I had
1: a crush on Cousin Freddy, so.
0: Did you? <laughs> oh, oh man. Um, yeah, so I gave it an 8 because some of the other, I thought some of the other actors in it were lacking, but, um, yeah, my, Michael Caine's, you know, carrying this thing on his back and he's phenomenal, so. He is every bit that eight, you know, and just the average is brought down by everybody else. All right, design. What do you got for this?
1: Uh, nine point seven five.
0: Really? <laughs> really? You couldn't round up? Okay, maybe could... it's a ten. I gave it a ten too. Yeah, it's a really good film. Like in terms of design, it looks great.
1: The sets, the costumes, everything is is really pretty perfect. Yeah. The only thing, like. The only bold colors that we see are with Miss Piggy and the girls, uh-huh. and I would have liked in that red scarf at the end, right. and I would have loved to see maybe everything a little bit brighter at the end. Uh-huh. Maybe Bean finally gets a new jacket or something, you know, that's the only, my only, yeah. that's my 0. .25.
0: I think what they did in this movie really well, which they hadn't really done in a lot of the other Muppet films, is they made the environment. You could feel the environments that they're in. Mm-hmm. You could feel the darkness and the dampness in the beginning. You could feel the warmth at the end. It really felt transformative, transport, mm-hmm. transformative. Is that, is that the word I'm trying to use? Uh, I don't know. You really, you really felt like you were there, yes. in a way. And that, that, that's probably from the cinematography, the lighting, the set design. Mm-hmm. And that's you know, for, for a movie that was filmed entirely on a soundstage uh, that's hard to do I mean when you don't have the ability to go out and film in the 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 valleys of London and England and you know across the countryside you're Mm -hmm. when you're building all these things on sets that's that's an incredible achievement I mean you could see you know with Muppets Take Manhattan you know they they had a lot of those challenges Mm -hmm. of trying to have these Muppets interact with New York City same thing in Great Muppet Caper but like here you really did feel each environment that they were in. So, yeah, I gave I gave the design a 10, too. I mean, just from top to bottom, well,
1: I thought this. I take it all back. It has to stay a 9.75 because of the scale of the
0: ghost of Christmas get-to-come's arms. Oh, yeah, you, you did not like their proportions. I mean, <laughs> even though it's a mystical creature, you still think that the proportions even make sense. <laughs> they don't. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Um, so, yeah, so we're both kind of in there. All right, folks, next session which section we're getting into – Numbers that we needed, numbers that we could do without, numbers that you're fast forwarding to. This is going to be a new section. As we all know, since we're rewatching these films, there are some of us that have obviously favorite songs mm-hmm. and dance numbers and things like that that happen throughout these these movie musicals. So sometimes we like to kind of you know skip ahead, fast forward to our favorite song and dance number or moments uh, in these mills. So we're going to talk about that too. But first, numbers that we needed. I don't think because again. This is not based on a pre-existing musical. This is an original, original movie musical. Don't say it. You know, there there isn't anything out there that wasn't, you know, th- that was necessarily missing, so to speak, in terms of its pre-existing, you know, format. But there is that one big elephant in the room, which is of course When Love Is Gone. Yes. The incredible ballad. Well, I shouldn't say incredible. It's a great it's a good song. It's a song. good song. It's a good song uh, that is what Bell Sings to Young Ebenezer, which if you see any other movie musical or any other musical of this of A Christmas Carol, there's always a song in that moment. There's always a ballad in that moment. And this was actually a particularly strong one. Mm-hmm. And the story behind this song was that it was written by Paul Williams, who had written Rainbow Connection and all the mm-hmm. classic Muppet songs. They wanted the song there to obviously be an emotional ballad. Jeffrey Katzenberg, who is the CEO of Disney... Um, uh, studios, the Walt Disney Studios at that time, thought the song was too sad; it would make kids sad, and wanted it cut from the film. Brian, Hans- Brian Henson definitely objected to that and fought for that song to be in that film. Ultimately, lost that battle, which is why you have this incredibly strange, weird cut that happens in the middle of the film. Now, here's the funny thing: when the movie came out in theaters. That when love is gone was was cut, when it was released originally on its VHS, the song was cut. Um, when it was re-released in certain other types of uh, incarnations after that, that's when you got the song back in. The, well, it was AD. in a
1: VHS version though. Was because, it in the first VHS? Yes.
0: Oh, it was. Okay. So the first time you saw it had it had, when it I, had love when love is gone.
1: Yeah, I remember it oh, okay.
0: really strongly as a kid. Gotcha. So yeah, so it was. It's interesting because when you watch it on a streaming network like we just did mm-hmm. on Amazon, it's not in there. But if we were to watch it on its DVD with special features, if we watch it on VHS, according to Nicole, it's on there. <laughs> I, I I didn't have the VHS, so I can't tell you. Um, but yeah, on other versions, it's not. So it's it's a very weird thing. Where it's like you know they should just have a DVD where it's like you know Muppet's Christmas Girl, When Love Is Gone version. Mm-hmm. So you know then you know it's in there, but. It, when it's not in there, and what we had to do tonight was we watched the scene, stopped it, paused it, and then pulled up like YouTube to watch mm. that sequence and scene. And by doing that, you really see what's lost mm-hmm. by not having that scene in that in that film. And, well, and
1: that's another really good performance by Michael
0: Caine yeah. too. It re- I would say it's the strongest moment in the film. Like you see him. You know, come up behind her and start singing the duet, and then he just can't sing anywhere because Mm -hmm. he starts crying. And he's trying to look at her face the entire time to get that last look at her. That's a really, really powerful moment that you don't really get in a lot of other incarnations of this story. So Mm -hmm. the fact that it's not in there is mind boggling. Um, And to provide some context, I mean, you know, Jeffrey Katzenberg, when he left Disney, he went to go and found. Uh, and, and it was part of the, f- you know, the founding of DreamWorks Studios, mm-hmm. which is why you saw a definite break between you know the emotion of of DreamWorks animation as opposed mm-hmm. to Pixar animation. So DreamWorks has never even come close to getting to that emotional realm that Pixar yeah. films has. and that's probably because of Jeffrey Katzenberg. Yep. So Well, there you and go. that's
1: I think by doing that you're saying children can't handle it. Whereas that's the only version that I knew, right? So when that scene was missing, it it stopped having that same feeling. And even right. as a kid, I mean, you understand what a love story is, especially as if for me as a young girl, that's you know, I romanticized everything.
0: Yeah. So there you go. Uh, numbers that we could do without. Would you cut anything from this movie? I
1: would cut some of the kind of unbeat conversation after uh, during the Ghost of Christmas Get to Come when they're visiting all of the creatures that have stolen things from Scrooge and all of that. Okay. Um, I just feel like it's a little bit ongoing mm-hmm. and if a kid doesn't get it, you got to cut to the point faster. Right. Like,
0: (laughs) right. Yeah. I mean, when it came to like a lot of those full songs, I didn't really feel like there was one that you probably didn't need. Um, I think that if I was to rank them, the closest one would be what's that called? God bless us all the
1: bless us all. You're not taking that out of my movie. I
0: know. (laughs) But I'm like, if I had to rank all in terms of necessity to the story, that maybe be the one that I would cut because you could achieve the same thing through dialogue. But I I, I like all the songs here. They're all mm-hmm. quality songs. I'm not going to lie. So I, I, I wouldn't cut anything. Nicole, what's what's the number that you're going to fast forward to? If you had to fast forward to this movie, what's the, the one? The
1: Kermit Robin duet. Mm-hmm. And they're strolling down the street together. That's
0: your, that, That's it, really. So it's not one of the big production numbers. It's just that simple little scene of just Kermit and Kermit. Yeah. Tiny Tim, not Tiny Tim, sorry. (laughs)
1: Um, I do love One More Sleep Till Christmas, Mm -hmm. and what's our Christmas present song? Um,
0: Oh, uh, it's being in, you know, it looks like Christmas. Yes. Feels like Christmas, Um, yeah.
1: But, yeah, that little duet, I think, says so much about... Their characters, and especially because as audience members, we're used to seeing Robin and Kermit together. it's true. So it was the night; it's the
0: first time we see them together as characters too. Mm. So for me, it's the opening number. I'm not even fast forwarding; I'm just hitting play, and it's the first <laughs> number I get. I love that song. The opening number of this is fantastic, which is why I've always lobbied for this movie to become a Broadway musical. Is that that's such a great opening number?
1: It is a very good opening number. Um, fun little note, just also about their duet is Kermit's little flippers have some really nice syncopation as there they're walking and it's a nice little... It's not even advocate. wearing shoes. She no, the grass. It's just his little flippers in the little snow. There
0: you go. <laughs> All right, Nicole, what's timeless and dated about this movie? Let's start with timeless.
1: Timeless, I think the story, the music, the yeah. sets, the costumes, I feel like the majority... 95% of this movie is timeless well, I and think it's gr- yeah really
0: Christmas well. Carol is not I mean that that story is what uh, 200 years old at this I point I mean that's
1: not going out of style it's not
0: going out of style anytime soon I mean Ghost of Girlfriend's Past is a great example of how how to trope. make it go out of yeah. style well yeah that's trying to kill it but like yeah that that, that story is never going to not be told like centuries from now they'll right. still be making movies of that absolutely
1: um. I, yeah, I mean, I really, I think this holds up very well. Yeah. The one thing that doesn't. Oh wait, no, I get oh, there. Sorry, you yep. go. Let me go. go.
0: Let me go first here. You like to jump. You like to jump sections. You're going from like zero to sixty here. Slow down. I write Slow in down, sequence. Slow sorry. Down. I think also what's t- timeless is Christmas spirit. I don't know. I, I think people get into the Christmas spirit. Or uh, that, that's gonna happen year. I know. I Get emotional. <laughs> well, you know, Christmas <laughs> is my favorite holiday. Like, for some people, like my friend Greg, like, Halloween's, like, his Christmas. hmm You know, um, other people like like Easter a lot, I guess, New Year's. I'm a, I'm a Christmas guy. But I think just seeing people getting into the Christmas spirit is something that just, it's going to happen every year. Um, the Muppets. hmm I think the Muppets are timeless. I mean, it's, I think it's crazy to think that one company, or one, you know, company defines an entire genre, almost, mm-hmm. or an entire, like, Thing. I mean, Avenue Q. Avenue Q exists because of, of Jim Henson. Right. Like that's that's it. Um, and so, like that—that that to me is crazy in a way and and remarkable. Mm-hmm. So I think 50, 100 years from now, Muppets are still going to be around. Also, I think the trope, the classic film trope of you know career goals getting in the way of relationships, <laughs> that's timeless, and it's going to make me roll my eyes every single time because I want to side with a dude, and most of the time it's the guy, by the way. Most of the time, it's the guy that in his career has gotten in his, and, and is too career oriented to, you know, is taking away from his time from his family. I Nine times out of ten, I'm going to side with the guy because you know what? You know what? Girlfriend, you know, uh, Belle, uh-huh. hey, Bell, you like that coat? Guess who paid for that? Guess what? Guess what paid for that? Hard work. You know so funny that you should say
1: that. Yeah. Your wife has a job too now. Well, yes.
0: (laughs) Yes, now in modern times. But I think it's just this this trope that we see a lot in film and television where, like, the biggest problem of the relationship is that it's the person's career. And at the end of the movie, the person leaves the job. And then, you know, to be reunited. And that makes everything better. Same thing we, we just talked about in Mary Poppins. You know, like...
1: I... But, you know, I really... And again, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. I think... The idea that family comes first is not a bad thing. And you can be all cynical and... I'm going to be
0: cynical about it. That's all. Because I'm a career man. So like, <laughs> I'm not a businessman. I'm a business man. So here you go. All right, business. Nicole. Business. Yes. <laughs> What's dated about this film?
1: The special effects.
0: Really? Well, yeah, I could see like a lot of green screen in this movie. A well, lot of green screen.
1: And not even the Muppet stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the flying
0: mm-hmm.
1: I'm talking about the strange twinkles when the ghost of Christmas present disappears. Right. It looks like Christmas lights um the practical effects mm-hmm. that you know, the the all of the puppeteering I think are amazing mm-hmm. I'm talking about like the doorknob squiggling right. and turning into Marley's face mm-hmm. like. That's the stuff that I feel like is dated, and there's only there's so few instances of it that it really stood out to me.
0: yeah, well, I mentioned before earlier in this podcast that the budget on this film was twelve million twelve million dollars. Mm-hmm. so and you know when you look at the design, the sets, the costuming, you could easily say that, yeah visual effects probably you know didn't get that much attention right you know, but the, I, I also there were some nice effects like I like the t- you know that swirling of the film. When the ghost of Christmas yet to come and, and um, Scrooge are walking, yeah, different places. How they like you know swirl the mm-hmm. the, the setting behind them uh, through green screen effects. That I think was a cool effect. But yeah, well, to your point, I think that it's very basic in this movie.
1: It is, and I don't. I think their strengths are in practical effects. Mm. I don't think their strengths lie in
0: CGI and things like that. You know, what I think is dated about this movie. What or I think you know, what I think about it is just dated about a Christmas Carol. Toasting the founder of the feast. Oh. <laughs> uh, not for nothing. I love my supervisors and my bosses at work, but, you know, I'm not going to toast them during Christmas and say, you know, they're not the founders of this feast. <laughs> I'm just gonna... well, I mean, no. technically they are because they're giving me money yes. to pay for it, but still.
1: But there's, there's a difference, though, because it's so the thing about my boss who I see every day and right. we share space together mm-hmm. and we share a lot more, I know you're you're like here nicole goes she's getting squishy again yeah she's getting squishy
0: but, i should have like I mean, a squish alert like, <laughs> i should hit, hit a button when you start to get squishy
1: but we have a very good relationship and honestly if i think about it at christmas we should tips her because she has allowed me to do would you clip.
0: call her the founder of the feast though to the founder of the feast <laughs> carrie smith <laughs> to the founder of the feast I don't know if I could do that.
1: But, again, your boss lives on the other side of the country. That's true. That helps, too. And you don't see him very often. Such a Scrooge.
0: Such a Scrooge, that guy. Oh, stop. (laughs) Uh, You know what else I think is dated about this movie? Parlor games. Sadly, I don't think anybody's playing parlor games anymore in households.
1: You know who wants us to, though? Who? Samuel Peterson. Oh, does he? Yes. Our
0: son is four years old. He likes parlor games. But, (laughs) sadly, he hasn't discovered (laughs) video games yet. So, we're going to try to push that as far as back as we can. No, not yet. But, yeah, nowadays... Like, when I was a kid, during Christmas, we'd, we'd eat, there'd be dessert, and then the grown-ups would play Trivial Pursuit, while the kids would watch TV in the other room. And that was, like, I think the end. Like, the 80s was the end of Parlor Games. Like, no one's playing charades anymore. No one's playing Win or Lose or Draw. Like, they they try with these, you know, what's that, that game? Cranium? and Stuff like that. Like, they tried to bring it back. Maybe but that should be that our
1: goal this year.
0: Well, I'm surprised they don't have more, like, interactive, like, family parlor games for video game systems like you don't really see that wrong boo i know but i'm just saying like that's that's one way you could use current technology to do you know parlor games so to speak
1: but we don't have social lives maybe things are happening i'll tell
0: you what we should this christmas (laughs) poll everybody this christmas at your parents house let's play the the game that freddie and and clara play where it's like the guess yes or no game okay and let's see how long it takes us to get to one (laughs) guess I'm pretty sure it's going to be like the game of Monopoly, where we all just give up and say, all right, who are you talking about? It's been four hours. It's been four hours. <laughs> it's not a mammal. It's not a vegetable. It's what is it? It's the couch. It's <laughs> like, the constitution. Yeah. Like it's, <laughs> but if you nail on the fourth guest, then there you go. Just like Clara did with Ebenezer. Um, you know what else I think is dated about this movie? Giving Cole's a gift. I don't know if you saw at the end there where like... yeah.
1: Um
0: Ebenezer's giving coal to all of his employees. Honestly,
1: though, if someone gave us oil as a gift, I would be like, "heck." Well, that's what yes. I tried
0: to equate it to. Like, does anybody give like, like utilities as if a gift? If someone
1: wanted to pay our you like our oil bill,
0: is that what I think? That's a great gift, though. Like,
1: that would be an amazing why are, gift. Why aren't more so Don't poo poo giving coal as a gift.
0: Right, but I'm just we saying just it's data. To... Like, no one's no one's doing. Like, no one's giving natural resources as a gift anymore. Like, no one's giving no. utilities as a gift. But
1: anymore. But if anyone would like to pay our oil bill,
0: right. <laughs> Because I think it's like nowadays we live in a society where like people probably view that as like you should be able to pay that for yourself. Like be a man. Pay for your utilities. But I'm like, you know what? Hey, for Christmas, I'm going to pay your heating bill this month.
1: That's a great gift. That would be an amazing gift. I'm just saying.
0: But that's dated nonetheless. All right. Let's get into our words. Oh, do you have anything dated before we move on? Anything else? It was really, I think, just the effects. Just the effects. Yeah. Yeah. They don't really hold up that well. No. Even for 1992 standards, like, you know. We're two years in Jurassic Park we're, we're you know right like it's we're definitely in a more advanced place than than, than when you know when the effects are made so they could have they done a better job but again $12 bucks they probably spent a lot of that on costumes and sets yeah uh, let's get into our awards folks with all movie musicals like we like to do, we want to give out some awards so we've got three here on this podcast. The first is called the Barber Award named after Miss Barbara Streisand for who <laughs> we feel has the best singing voice in the entire movie. The second award we give is on the flip side, because sometimes there's singers that are not so good. And we're going to give that to called the Russell Crowe Award, named after <laughs> the illustrious Academy Award-winning actor Russell Crowe, who absolutely just just killed people in Les Miserables. Mm. And, and eventually when we get to that movie, I, I do I still call it the Russell Crowe Award for that particular podcast? I don't know. I guess I gotta come up with a different name maybe I'll call it the Pierce Brosnan <laughs> podcast. We'll get, to, we'll get to that later and then finally <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm talking about <laughs> final one um, is the Bumlet Award for those of you who don't know who Bumlet is go watch Newsies the movie the, the original movie go watch the number The King of New York he's the guy swinging on the fan at the end of the number he's played by an actor named Dominic Lucero who sadly has passed away So that's why I really wanted to name it after him. Kind of a tribute. But the Mm -hmm. dude kills it in that movie. And after seeing him in that number, you cannot take your eyes off of him for the entire movie. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to give an award to the ensemble or supporting member of this cast uh, that just choose every bit of scenery that they're in. They could be an extra. They could be a background player. It's basically anybody who's not one of the lead main focuses of the film. So we're calling it the Bumlet Award. But first, let's talk about Barbara. Talk about the best singer of the film. They call who is gets your Barbara Award, Belle. Played by Meredith Braun.
1: Yeah.
0: Sadly, has not done a lot since this movie. Honestly, it's like she's got like six credits to her name.
1: That's okay. That's okay.
0: I mean, but like I said, didn't didn't launch her career probably because her part got cut. You know. Yeah. But uh, damn it, Jeffrey Katzenberg. I know. Anyway, yeah. No, I mean, and I won't lie. Like if I did rank her voice, you know, one through ten, probably a six. It's not like, very mean, breathy, if, but like if
1: you're putting it up against Barbara herself, right. then yes. Right, but yeah. Well that's not the if point. If you're of the putting word, but yeah. yeah, I mean if you're putting her up against Miss Piggy,
0: Bell's
1: mm-hmm. Belle's gonna
0: win. See, I, get, I went I went the other way. I think I think the, the natural choice is Belle. But I'm gonna I'm gonna pretend that that song's not in the movie at all. Even though it should be. But let's assume that's not.
1: If it's not, then it goes to
0: Kermit. So you're gonna go with you're gonna go with Steve Whitmire's Kermit. Yes, See, I'm gonna go with Don Austin to play the Ghost of Christmas Present because that never, you know, it, it looks like Christmas, it feels like Christmas. Yeah. That I love the way he sings that song. So, I know. yeah, I'm gonna give it to my my Barbara word goes to Don Austin. So good job, man. All right, on the flip side, Russell Crowe word who's getting it for you? Michael Caine. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and I, but I gotta give him credit. I gotta give him credit too. He could easily have done the Rex Harrison thing and just like talked all of his songs. Mm-hmm. Especially the end one. But he's going for it, man. Like, he's really trying.
1: Well, it's not to discount his effort. Right. If we're just talking about his voice. Right. Then his voice
0: isn't as good. No no words for, for achievement here. No words for effort here. No. It's what the final result is when it comes to that award. So, yeah, I, I agree. Michael King gets it. But on a side note, like, I give him credit for trying. Mm-hmm. Give him credit for trying. All right. Your bum little word. Who's getting it? Who could you not take your eyes off of? Bean the bunny. Oh my god, I said the same thing. Really? I did. I yeah. love, I love his Christmas caroling in the beginning. I love yes. the fact that he's the kid that Scrooge sees, you know, on the Christmas day. Yes. Yeah.
1: His little shivering, oh, breaks my heart. Breaks your
0: heart. Yeah. Yep. He's the scene. Bean Bunny's coming. In. I think it's close second, Beaker in this movie. <laughs> Honestly, like because Beaker's usually portrayed as like an idiot. And a moron, but he's actually kind of cool in this movie. And he's actually, he, you know, if you notice, like he gives Scrooge his um, his, his scarf. That's a very touching moment. Like,
1: see, my second was the horses and their boogie
0: down. And their boogie down, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, final question, Nicole: Should this get a remake someday? I don't not, know how you do it. I don't think not you could.
1: in a film form, right? If it were going to have another reincarnation, I would say it should be on stage.
0: See, this, this. I'm so glad you brought that up because I wrote an article last year basically saying the same thing. That mm-hmm. I think this should be one of those holiday musicals that you see on Broadway that plays basically from the beginning of November to the beginning of January. Mm-hmm. Because of the success of Avenue Q, we obviously know that Muppets can work on a stage.
1: Yep. So
0: why not? Uh, and in, in actually, I'm so glad you brought this up because in my research for that article, I found out that they actually tried to do it. So back in 2004, they actually created a workshop to see if they could make this into a Mm full-fledged Broadway production. Sadly, didn't go any further than that, but at least the thought process was there. And so for anybody listening to this podcast or who might have read that article that I wrote last year, because it it goes viral every time I post it, um, please. I mean, there's a lack of Christmas shows, Christmas musicals that are put on on a seasonal basis I mean right now in New York City there is one and it's not even playing in a Broadway stage it's playing at the Madison Square Garden theaters well
1: honestly just think about the Rockettes yeah I tried to get us tickets this year
0: huge draw they were too expensive too expensive (laughs) give us some Muppets (laughs) give us I mean if you if you said to me right now by the way Muppets Christmas Carol full-fledged Broadway production it's gonna play from November 1st to January 20th I'm there
1: Well, even like *Emmett Otter* was at good speed, right? *Emmett
0: Otter* was at good speed. Granted, that was not a; it wasn't a puppet show. It was like a the, like fully grown humans playing the characters. Ah, but it's still the music. It's like the music. music. It's still a show. The music from this movie is wonderful. Right. I'm just saying. I think, I think Disney. I mean, for all the flack that they get for their Disney theatrical productions, but Disney knows how to do puppetry. Right. So So that's what I'm saying. Like. Disney get on this man like you know what are you doing Disney Jim Hansen get on this Mupp- Muppet's Christmas Carol every single year on Broadway sold at houses I guarantee yes. it everybody's going to see that so just throwing that out there and then you could take it on the road and do whatever you want with it but put it on stage that's all I'm saying because you know Avenue Q has showed us that puppets on stage can work that's all I'm saying Nicole any yeah. final thoughts
1: Um, this was a very nice evening viewing of this movie. Yeah,
0: this was kind of a spontaneous podcast, by the way, because I saw that my reposted that article that I wrote last year got really great response. So I was like, you know what? This movie's probably on a lot of people's minds. Definitely I think at least in my lexicon, top five movies that I'm gonna watch every mm-hmm. holiday season. It's right up there with Christmas Vacation. It's right up there with Home Alone.
1: Little Women.
0: Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna stop you there. Folks <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast, leave leave your answer in the comments. To qualify as a Christmas movie, let me ask you. Does Christmas have to take place in the movie? Or does Christmas have to be part of the... Like the cent- center part of the plot of that movie? I think it's the the latter. Nicole thinks it's the... it's both. Yeah. I think it's the latter. I think it's just the latter. I don't... Th- I think if Christmas just t- happens to take place in the movie... Doesn't necessarily make but it a Christmas movie. But it takes movie.
1: place multiple times in Little there Women. There
0: are like three Christmases in Little Women. You're mm-hmm. right. You're right. But anyway, <laughs> we're getting ahead of ourselves. It's different. That's a, actually, sadly, unless they make a movie musical version of Little Women, we will never mention that movie again on this podcast again. Thank well, God. Oh, stop. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, have a wonderful Christmas. Yes. Happy holidays to you and yours. From, from me and Nicole. Yes. And Sammy Peterson you who's know, sleeping next in the next room. Mm-hmm. Merry Christmas to all of you. And I hope you watch this movie. I hope you've watched this movie before listening to this podcast. We will be back uh, next week. I am going to do a podcast over this break. So this way you will have something kind of in the new year. And we'll have something to do with the new year. I'm not going to spoil it for which one. Um, actually, I'll spoil it. It's going to be Rent. I'm just going to throw it out there. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you the next one's going to be Rent because you know it's, it's a holiday type of show, so to speak. So Thanks for listening. As always, this has been the musical movie musical shakedown right here on the Onstage Blog Network. And if you are looking at the Onstage Blog Network, just know that we are on Podbean. We're also on Spotify. We're going to be on Google Play soon, and we are going to be on iTunes. Just so you know, those are things, those two networks are coming. But right now, you can definitely listen to us on Podbean and Spotify if you have those two services, or you can obviously go to our website, onstageblog.com, at the Onstage Blog Network page and access all these podcasts. We just posted another one as well called The Ripple Effect. This is a brand new podcast that I'm doing with my good friend Ken Jones, who's our chief film critic, where we talk about movies that have had a ripple effect in in Hollywood, that have influenced genres of film, and we're kicking it off with the original action film Die Hard, which is a Christmas movie. I'm just going to throw that out there. (laughs) Little Women is not, but Die Hard is. Anyway...
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this folks.
0: Really appreciate it. Again, happy holidays. Merry Christmas to all of you. This again has been the Movie Musical Shakedown. We will see you next die? week. Have a good day, folks. My arm is again
1: I bet you want to know why I shot the bastard. You won't get I hold a PhD in horribleness. See you at the aftermath. Peace.